Boom. Fuck it. We're doing live. WNBC. All right. We're here today with Dan Benamore, screenwriter, right? Cheers. Host of Movies I Love That No One Talks About, which is a great podcast, which lives up to its name because you talk about a lot of fucking movies I love. Shit like I thought you were going to say no one talks about the podcast. It lives up to its name. (laughs) That's our podcast. podcast. (laughs) That's That's ours. We can relate to if that were the case. But yeah, I mean, The Salt and Sea, just all these great movies I love that are in my stacks of DVDs that I've cherished over the years and no one gives a shit about anymore. So I appreciate you (laughs) keeping the candle lit, the torch burning for those kind of flicks. And you have some pretty good guests on. As far yeah, as industry I mean, people, oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's impressive. Awesome. I uh, I think it's because of the premise of the show, because a lot of time it'll be, I'll reach out to somebody who either wrote it, directed it, produced it, and I'm like, hey, I want to talk about this movie that, you know, usually was a financial failure, or right. like, but it's like, a is a good movie. And they're like, oh, I'm so happy to just talk to anyone about this. And then they'll come on and, you know, and, and it's, uh, I mean, like, for example, we did um, Corey, which... I think anyone who's seen that show, I, I broke the rules of the, um, the podcast and I did a TV series. Uh, Quarry. And anyone yeah. who's seen the series, Quarry, it's incredible. It's so fucking good. And it was so cool to talk to those guys. I got both creators on and we talked about the whole series. And uh, I know I think they I think they appreciated it. Like as much as I appreciated getting to talk to them, I think they appreciated that somebody cared enough to really want to like do such a yeah, deep dive. Yeah, and a show it. like that, that was on Cinemax, right? And Cinemax, I think, the rebranding they did never quite caught on. People are still thinking it's they're like Red Shoe Diaries and shit. But yeah, I mean, like you had uh, Banshee is also great. And a lot right. of this, uh, there's a lot of carryover in the creative teams between those two shows. So yeah, there's just, obviously there's just so much fucking content now. You know, that, it's um, yeah. you know a lot, a lot of stuff gets lost in the weeds. So you also are a screenwriter, right? I am. How's that going? <laughs> you know, I, uh, <laughs> are you like us, a screenwriter who's like, can uh, we make this podcast thing work? Uh, you know, I mean, I think I've been lucky. I always, I always, I equate it very much to being a criminal. And it's almost like every year that I get away with it, it feels mm-hmm. like another year that I've somehow like pulled off of the, a con. Um, heist I mean, sort of you know, I was a development executive for a while and then I, I've got a bunch of movies produced and I have like 17 features that have been produced that I either developed or wrote, um, which is pretty crazy. Crazy. I had no idea. 17. They're all, most of them are lower budget movies, but you know, every once in a while I would, I would catch one that was a little bit bigger. Like I, I did American heist with um, Hayden Christensen and Adrian Brody, um, you know, and that basically started because we had an existing script we weren't getting traction with. I said, let's, let's start from scratch. Let's just do it. And I, this is literally what I said. I said, we're going to, we're going to copy the brother thing from warrior. And we're going to, we're going to mix that with like rounders with like the relationship between the characters and rounders. And we're going to do the ending from warrior, but we're going to do it in a bank heist movie. And we did, and that's what we did. And then that's how we got Hayden Christensen to do it. And then he went and got Adrian Brody and, you know, nice. that, that ended up being, but I mean, it's, that was what was so cool about working development is like, literally it would just be like, well, what should we make? And then, you know, sometimes I would, I would have an idea. And then like two years later, we'd make the movie. So Dude, development honestly sounds more fun because we yeah. look at our lists of ideas and we're like, each one of these is going to take so much time and investment and probably never fucking go anywhere. But in development, yeah. you're like juggling all these cool projects and meeting with cool writers and you're kind of steering the ship. I don't know. It sounds fun, man. It's fun, but it's also very heartbreaking. I mean, I've, I had, um, I had a project. I remember we, Literally, like me and the producer sat in a room, came up with this idea. Uh, we got at the time it was going to be Sean Bean was going to star in it, and um, we were so proud of it. Like we, it was like we really were thought the script was good, and um, it's just a couple guys in a bank. Like it was like a, the whole movie is in a bank, right? And we got mm-hmm. all right, we got Sean Bean. How hard can this be to finance? And there wasn't enough action in it. Like I guess when we took it to the buyers, like it was really a drama masquerading as a thriller. Um, and they actually picked up on that. And so we weren't able to finance it. And literally I spent, what is this drama a- shit? Like it's yeah. so disheartening. It's all half of my favorite movies. Like you said, never made right. money. Cause they're little dramas and you know, mm-hmm. it's fucking- I had another one, a, a friend of mine, um, who I loved the script that he written. And I told him if I ever have any power, I'll try to make it. And so I got it that we met with every agency that all submitted casting names. We had a cool director for, for like a hot second Pierce Brosnan was going to do it. Um, and you know, it just, it had this crazy dark ending. That's the reason I liked it. And then when we took it to the buyers, 
they actually read the script and they were like, this ending is fucked up. And, uh, and so we ended up not making it. And it's just like, you, you would, you would put these things together, uh, you know, get the actor, get the director, do all the rewrites, get everybody happy. And then you take it to like the line and it falls apart. And it's so devastating. It's more devastating. I think than being a writer, because at least for me, I'm very mercenary about it. I'm like, here's the script. God bless. The creative part for me is writing the script. If you yeah, make it, like- that's awesome. But um, my creative satisfaction comes out of just generating the material. And after that, let's see what happens. Right. It might right. be more a grass is green, greener on the other side thing, too, because as soon as we were saying development sounds fun, it's like, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, we've, we've been through enough development shit. experiences and shit to know how awful it can be. It all yeah. sucks. What an industry. Right. <laughs> what a biz. Yeah. I mean, we can get into all that and we're, you know, we're known for wildly veering off topic but uh similar to your show we came up with this my favorite movie sub series of our podcast because it's nice just for someone to come in hot with passion yeah. talking about something positively you know it's so easy just yes. to tear shit down we're finding uh, movies that people hate works equally well on that front too though yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> but your favorite movie you answered quickly without any hemming and hawing which one of the inside jokes of this show is that we still can't quite fucking nail a favorite down you know um we have several that are in the running, but it was and is The Departed. My yeah. favorite Departed. movie ever, period. The second you saw it, you were like, this is my shit? Or did I it take repeat out, viewings? So, or Yeah, so Departed, I think, came out in 2006. So I would have been uh, in my second year of college. So you figure at that time, I don't have, obviously not where I'm at now, or I have kids and stuff. Uh, I saw it. I think I saw it in the campus movie theater. And then I immediately, it was one of those movies where I basically, any human that I could convince to go see this movie with, I would go see it with. So I saw it with casual acquaintances. I'd be like, hey, come see it with me. I, I saw it with my dad. I, uh, I'm, you know, I saw it, I think, six times in the theater. And then um, obviously would later watch it on different formats, ancillary and... Uh, I, it almost got to the point where I was, I had watched it so many times that I had to take a break from it. So I hadn't seen it in probably like four years until I watched it again, knowing that I was going to talk mm-hmm. to you about it. Cool. And it's just as great as <laughs> it was then. Yes. And my whole thing with it is I actually, for like two seconds, considered doing it on my show because I think that people consider The Departed like, oh, you know, it's kind of minor Scorsese. It was sort of a makeup Oscar and it, it, maybe it was a weak year that year at the Oscars, so it got more credit than it should have gotten yeah. or whatever. I don't ascribe to that at all. I think it's unbelievable. And I think just from a writing, just the attitude of it from a writing perspective is something that I've been trying to capture pretty much my entire time writing scripts. It's just the unhinged, just going for broke. Like, And you know what's so great? I, uh, I watched um, Monaghan's Oscar acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you ever want to just feel connected to another writer go watch that speech because monahan writes this script which is unreal it's such such a good script and he goes and he wins the oscar and he's there giving the speech to the oscars and he's such a writer it's like very awkward mm-hmm. like you can see that he's uncomfortable mm. um he's the he's screenwriter very- award is almost my favorite because a lot of times it is some recluse who's forced to go stand in front of all these right. movie stars and it talks and shit like <laughs> and you can see as, as he's giving the speech you can see like DiCaprio and Mark Wahlberg and they're looking at him and they look at him with like real deep respect mm-hmm. and you know I mean the guy is a fucking genius but he's still a writer right and we're just we tend to be mm. a little bit more introverted a little bit more socially awkward and it was such a, because <laughs> I was expecting, given the movie, I was expecting him to walk up there, Some like Joe Esterhaus type motherfucker, like a bottle of whiskey, yeah, and yeah. give everybody the finger or something. Like I was yeah. expecting him to be so different, and he was just purely a writer. Yeah, I always like to think if we somehow won an Oscar someday that we would be the guy with the whiskey and giving the finger. But nah, probably not. Probably get up there stammering and fucking probably just sit it out. We'll just maybe go Native and, American. Yeah. Right. I'll send a Marlon Brando impersonator to take the award for us. <laughs> what, what do you guys think of that movie? Have you seen it? Uh, what? Yeah. The Departed? The Departed? Yeah. The Departed. Yeah, yeah. Love yeah, it. Definitely. Just rewatched it. the theater when it came night. out. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. It is interesting because it's not my favorite Scorsese film, which I think is the right. case with a lot of people. So right. that's one thing I wanted to ask you. Were you a Scorsese stan already going in? Did you go to no. film school? Were you? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that might have something to do with why I like it so much. So mm. I, 
when I was young, I was very idealistic and I like, I didn't like the Sopranos and I didn't like Goodfellas cause I thought the oh. characters were not relatable. Oh, now, now as an older, jaded, bitter, right. you know, wounded you person who's been through life. Yeah. Now uh, as a man. I, I, I think <laughs> I watched the Sopranos at the perfect time to watch it, which is after having my second child, like in the last six months, that's when I watched it. Oh. And I fully related to it. I would call my dad every day and be like, dad, this is what happened on the Sopranos last night. It reminded me of you. It reminded me Reminds of me that time we whacked Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally connected uh, Gandolfini to my dad because my dad also like has, you know, is, is complicated relationships with family is, is very, uh, <laughs> is always, there's always a problem. Like, I don't know. I, I don't even know how yeah. to explain it. It's not Little like my dad is a landscaper. <laughs> He's like the nicest guy ever, but it's just, I, I think that the, the real secret sauce of The Sopranos is, is that you connect it to your own family after you watch it enough and you start to feel like they're your family because it's so, you know, all the relatives, you know, everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying the same thing happened with Goodfellas. I hadn't seen Goodfellas until the past year. Oh, and, oh okay. And I, I had tried to watch it before when I was young, when I was like 18. Mm, but it was just repugnant you're 18, to you. You're watching Goodfellas. You're like, these people are monsters. Why am I watching this? <laughs> you're talking to the wrong dudes. When we grew up right, watching exactly. shit like that at like five years old and rooting for the bad guys and shit. When, when, you're, when you're like 34, you're like, I completely relate to this person. <laughs> yeah. When you're checking your bank account, you're like, he's yeah. right. We are suckers. What the fuck are we doing? Making an honest living. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I came to the departed more in the, the way that some of the people you talked talked about did that I already was enamored with earlier Scorsese stuff and everything. And it, it didn't see quite to seem to achieve that same level, even though it's still a great film. Don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. it didn't kind of blow my hair back. Or, and I didn't, didn't see it again till this, you know, a couple of days ago to watch it in preparation for this. And I actually have a greater appreciation having rewatched it, which often happens sometimes in the theater. It really depends on the mood you're in. Like you said, you were in, you know, the beginning of college, you're in that heady kind of, you know, world at the time. And, um, and I mean, even just down to that afternoon, like w whether you even want to sit through something as long as it is or what have you, by the end, you might just be kind of tuning out in, on some level. It's just the expectations um, of the trailer. Cause you're coming in yeah. like, with all the marketing, having it worked their, on you. And your trailer, like, by the way, sucked. That trailer blows. That's one of the worst. I don't trailers. remember the trailer. I, go back I, I remember it. it vividly because I had, I had intentionally avoided watching the trailer, saw the movie mm. and then went back and watched mm. the trailer mm. and they cut the trailer in such a way that made it look, it completely generic like there's a part in the movie where baldwin says um this is an elite unit and he says it half as a joke like mm -hmm. you in the in the context of the mm. scene it's sort of like almost like a put on but in the trailer they try to play it like he's Seems genuinely serious. saying yeah. this is okay. an elite unit like like ncis or something like right. i just thought that i thought the way they cut that trailer just did not uh connect to me to what the movie was um, yeah, it is funny when the marketing department have you ever seen the trailers for happiness you know, Todd Solon's is happiness. You ever right, seen that's that? That's a great example. Yeah, that's tough. I would imagine that's a tough one. Dude, to it plays <laughs> like just dun, 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 like some kind it bamboozled the few people who saw it. Which I'm is sure, kind of evil in. because the people yeah. who saw that and thought it was going to be this kind of happy-go-lucky family drama or whatever Comedy. goes to watch this yeah. movie. I'm <laughs> Which I love the subversion yes. of that. But <laughs> totally. where, where are you guys from originally? Where'd you grow up? Uh, we're from DC area originally, but then became military brats when the stepdad came in the picture. So since I was about eight, we moved to the Philippines for a few years and we're bouncing around ever since, but we did spend a few years living in Boston. So that's oh, one of the reasons I stints for me. Yeah. yeah. I do appreciate the hell out of this movie. Cause honestly, that was one of my favorite places. I feel an East coaster at heart mm. and there is something about Boston. There's a love hate relationship with it. Yeah. That I can't yeah, get I over I think that's a big part of liking the movie for me is that like I'm from Baltimore and um, nice. I've appreciated it more and more as I've gotten older. And I have this vivid memory. I went back after I'd been living in LA for like five years and I went, we went to downtown and we went to get a sandwich somewhere. And there was this guy working in the sandwich shop who had this face like a catcher's mitt. And obviously been working there for like 60 years and just did not give a shit about yeah. like being nice to people or anything like that. And it was, it's such a different in LA. Everyone is nice. Yes. Everyone is good looking. And it's, you know, it's the, um, you would, it would be so strange to go somewhere and have someone be like rude to you as you're that's trying. That's kind of what I love about food. it. 
Exactly. And in Baltimore, they're like, I don't give a shit. I've been working in the sandwich shop for 50 years. You can't do East shit Coast, to me. Baby. I have no great for you. I'm not trying to like go direct a movie after this. This is it. This right. is the end. I'm working in the sandwich shop. Right. And, uh, it's purgatorial, man. And right. we've lived in the South and everything and that whole Southern hospitality thing. It's like, that's mm. all bullshit too. It's like obviously yeah. hospitable to a certain class and ethnicity right. of people often and shit. You know what I'm saying? So I, yeah. we grew up in Oxen Hill, if you know, what Oxen Hill was like in the late 80s and early 90s and shit. Um, there were some bad, bad areas. I remember at one point when DC was murder capital of the world in like 95, yeah. reading this Rolling Stone article about how our old neighborhood had the highest teenage death rate in the country. We're like, thank It'd God actually be for the like great late Santini. 70s, early 80s. Yeah. 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 Late 70s, early, mid 80s. Yeah. We left 86. Yes. I think we went to the Philippines, yeah. but uh, it was yeah, on I mean, its way. I- I think that um, that East Coast attitude, it's a big thing that I think about a lot, especially like in our business, right? Like I'm sure you guys have had this experience. It's very hard to get a straight answer from people. For sure. Like a lot of times you you submit material or like you have a meeting and then, you know, it's like, it seems like everything was going great and then suddenly they disappear or or the, or the inverse. Like you think something's wrong and then you find out things are going great. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just because nobody's straight up, but like on the East coast, people are very straight up. And fuck if they don't yeah. like you, they will tell you, like, hey, oh, fuck yeah. off. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. Um, so that's what departed to me. is like a whole movie of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why one of the great things about Goodwill hunting too, is it's so authentic, especially having lived there. One of our favorite bits in that is when the uh, Stellan Skelsgard character goes in and he's talking to the janitorial boss. He's like, this is professor or whatever. And, yeah, this is Professor Hayes. You know, the guys just don't get, they're all smart ass. And then after he walks off, they're like asshole. Asshole. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like no one's impressed by your highfalutin hybrid shit. In a way, I know? appreciate the fakeness. I got to admit, like, you know, that it's just a little more pleasant to go through life when people are a little, like, not too. Part of it's the weather. The East Coast it. weather <laughs> kicks your ass. Yeah. That upper East Coast. Yeah. Everybody's in a bad yeah. mood to start. It hardens yeah, exactly. right. And everybody's yeah. congested. The cities are all, I mean, I remember shit living in the Boston area in like the late nineties, early two thousands. And I had a roadmap still at the time. It was like map quest or actual roadmap. And I'm driving down some street in Boston and the fucking street on my map just ends in a building. I'm like, what the, f-? like the map was three years old or something. Yeah. And they just built this building in the middle of a road that you then had to go around and shit. And it is just like spaghetti. Cause it, it, it was built back in the horse and carriage days, much of it. So the streets weren't yeah. really designed around modern traffic. I, mem- I remember driving into the city to go somewhere and like finding it in my rear view mirror again, I'm leaving the city again. Like what the fuck? Yes. <laughs> just choosing all the spitzy Spit back out. out. <laughs> the, uh, the weather thing. Like, so, you know, my dad uh, grew up, he was born in Morocco, grew up in Israel. And then always wanted to live in San Diego. His mm. whole life, he wanted to live in San Diego. But we lived in Baltimore, and he hates Baltimore. It doesn't. I mean, he doesn't hate Baltimore yeah, City, like but like he hates the weather. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so every winter, he would say, "Why are we here?" He mm. says, "I could have lived in San Diego." <laughs> and so the part in the departed when um, Matt Damon goes, uh, he says something to the effect of, "I'm a fucking Irish cop. I'll deal with something being wrong for the rest of my yes. life." Mm-hmm. And I was like, I re- I related so heavily to that. Yes. Like, I, that was a good line. A, that was powerful. A lot of people. A lot of people. That's reality. He was yeah. telling her, "You should get out of here. You're going to have to end this right. relationship." Because I'm Irish Catholic. I'll deal with yes. a horrific life forever and shit. <laughs> that was a great. <laughs> I, I like line. the punishment, the guilt, or I'm used to it at least. Right. Exactly. I'm just conditioned to just be right. unhappy. You know. Which uh, Robert Ebert's review of this mentioned Stockholm syndrome, which mm. definitely figures in a lot with the characters. You know the. Yeah, Matt Damon's character is a lot more sympathetic when you take into account he was groomed as a fucking child for this life. You know what I mean? It's very easy to vilify him. Yeah. Low key, it's one of um it's one of the more nuanced like it's it's kind of easy to take him at face value, but there's a lot going on with his character. Mm -hmm. Like the whole thing with him being like impotent, which is done very subtly, Mm -hmm. where basically they have they've clearly had a sexual encounter that's gone wrong. You want to talk she, about last night? You yeah. Know. She's, she's eating a banana, yeah. obviously very suggestively. She breaks the banana. And then, and then later she tells him that she's pregnant and he goes, really? Mm, right. It's clear that like, <laughs> right. Had, DiCaprio's kid. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. understand how she could be pregnant. And obviously it's implied that it's DiCaprio's. Yeah. Especially uh, at the end when he's like, what about the baby? And she's so right. upset watching DiCaprio be buried. Right. It's like, that's whose fucking mm-hmm. kid it is. Just mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. 
And he ends up, I mean, he basically, from his perspective, emotionally, he has to kill his own dad to kind of like, you know, yes. continue with his life, which Damon is really great at playing a shit heel. It's, it's something yes. that is because yes. he's so good looking. He hasn't gotten to play, I think enough shit heels, but he's really mm -hmm. good at that. Yeah. Like a talented Mr. Ripley. What else was he mm -hmm. kind of a shithead in um, interstellar? Doesn't he have that crazy twist in interstellar? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of my favorite, most underrated movies, you should actually do it, man. I'll come on your show and do an episode about this suburbicon. Have you seen that flick? Mm -hmm. I haven't. Dude, I think it's so underrated, and no one gave a shit about it. It's a Coen yeah, Brothers script. Bad reviews. I didn't even watch it. Coen Brothers script. That's Coen yeah. Brothers through and through. That Clooney directed. Matt Damon's in it. And he's just this. It's kind of a Fargo esque role of this lying, duplicitous husband trying to scam insurance and shit. You know, and uh, that's another one that movies. Matt Damon is just great in. Is a piece of shit, <laughs> but you're kind of still rooting for him. You know, he, he yeah. does have that everyman quality to him. School ties, like his first notable role he was a piece of shit but he was great in that he could have easily been typecast as like the little rich preppy asshole but i think that's what they did with goodwill hunting is they both mm -hmm. uh, ben affleck was typecast as the bully in right mall rats and fucking days and confused you know they're like let's write some real human roles for ourselves they're they're both affleck too is also really good when he's playing kind of like a darker yeah you know, when for he's, sure i'm gonna come for you gone girl type shit it's, uh, <laughs> go ahead what was no, that? i was just gonna say the i think that the 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 humor around damon is also really great because it's like we we obviously know how duplicitous he is but nobody else really does so he's treated as mm -hmm. a golden boy right and all this all the stuff with baldwin is unbelievable every scene where oh, he's yeah. talking to baldwin is 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 like yeah. a great comedy that just the two of them are in Speaking mm -hmm. of pieces of shit that you can't help but love, Alec Baldwin, Baldwin. is definitely <laughs> yes. that, dude. He's like one That's of those guys. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, man. All-timer. All-timer. And then just though he, you know, there's that whole thing with how he treated Kim Basinger, supposedly. No one knows the whole story and shit. And his daughter, mm -hmm. though, there was that tape of him just being a complete asshole to his daughter. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think the older that I've gotten, the more the more empathy I, I yes. have for people. Yeah. Um, definitely when I was younger, I think something like that might poison me against somebody forever. But, mm -hmm. like, I think now... I get him. <laughs> I always think about, like, if somebody had a recorder for our lives, right? Yes. And, like, the, the, the worst fight you ever had with a girlfriend or, or, or something like that the thing that you regretted most saying and they somebody had a recorder for that and could then play it right i think it would be tough to hold any of us up to that scrutiny right uh, so i i'm always and the fact that baldwin now has 700 kids i just have empathy <laughs> for him on that front well <laughs> he he doesn't give a fuck and he's kind of his own worst enemy in that regard or as far mm -hmm. as he'll he's a fighter he'll scrap with you he does not back down or whatever so he's there to get into it and strike back or whatever but it is funny not to drag you into any political discussion but the shit you were just talking about is why both of us kind of despise cancel culture the purity sure. test you know and baldwin though it is ironic somehow survives it despite yeah, well, all the nasty shit he's done because his politics yeah. he goes on saturday Night live you know he's mm -hmm. leftist he's so it's ironic well, i think i think yeah. for baldwin i think it's actually more so what you're talking about in terms of him being like like he's so charming and he's such a talent. And I think that, you know, if you listen, like I listened to his podcast, which is great. And he's, he's really like a, like a great storyteller and a great listener too. Um, that I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I don't know. I just, I just think we're all complicated. Yes. I, I, yeah. I am very, I, at the end of the day, I'm still pro Baldwin. I, I'm, I, I actually Absolutely. watching Team this Baldwin, Alec specifically. <laughs> so Steven, Steven. <laughs> right. Just kid. Watching but, uh, this really makes you think about like I think now Baldwin because he has the seven hundred kids he has to work a lot right yeah. he just has to mm. he's he's made jokes about it and um, he's probably still paying Kim Basinger <laughs> right yeah. and, and it's like you watch this movie and you're like man Baldwin is a movie star like there's really no like if in a different world where Baldwin I think maybe could be a little bit more choosy like there's yeah I think we would been still a be more leading manish or something big, yeah. Well, I think we would still be getting like the big, you know, movie star movie where he's like the second or third lead, um, <laughs> something like that. You know, he's yeah, I just yeah, yeah. Really, he's, like, he's so fucking funny in this movie. The part where he uh, there's like a total throwaway line where he, um, Damon is going in. They're having an operation or something. And he sees Damon and he says, I'm going to go have a smoke. You don't smoke, do you? What are you, one of those fitness freaks? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. And he says it. <laughs> 
He says he, it as I noticed line. that too. Yeah, That's doesn't even shit. wait that for an answer. Shit. He just is like rattling it off. I love it. That was fucking. Epic. Hey man, I love that about this movie where DiCaprio drops the f bomb and calls him a fucking faggot on the roof and everything. Because I hate movies that shy away from it. Because I mean, this is thirteen mm-hmm. years old now or whatever, yeah, fourteen yeah. years old, but fifteen years old, I guess. But uh, like I, I implore writers to just keep doing that shit. Because if the character if the would character, fucking yeah. say it, right. say it. You know, what? You know? It's, like it's Captain a great Jack, point, for example. When this came out, I remember a lot of the reviews said that Monaghan just writes these withering insults. And when you read that, you can't help but think of that moment talking about where he calls Damon, he calls him, yeah, two-faced and then the gay slur. And when, when he calls him that, Damon actually pulls the phone away from his ear mm-hmm. because he needs a moment just to it's absorb. Like his, yeah, right. And it is, it's just true. It's the same thing with um, at the beginning of the movie, um, uh, Nicholson uses the N-word, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's being true yes. to who are these people? Well, these people are all pretty much scumbags yeah, to, very, to be varying despicable. degrees. Yeah, no one in this movie is a good person by any right. possible definition. Well, like um, we love Larry Lasky, screenwriter Larry Lasky. He's been on the show to talk and you know just fucking gush over Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he very much is a great guy and a good guy. And I just saw he posted something about how Saturday Night Fever is the most homophobic misogynistic worst movie he's ever seen because he had just now checked it out later in life or whatever and i'm like that's so dangerous to say the movie is that just because the movie has that shit in it doesn't mean the movie is that it's usually condemning that stuff almost always i find movies are condemning this bad behavior but you gotta portray it to condemn it you know what i mean it's right our our movies not even have that stuff in it it is a prime example of that doing that right yeah it's tricky i I mean I think it is fascinating to look back at some of these movies. I mean, it was especially like in the seventies, they just, they're just going for it, man. There's just like, no, there's no uh, guardrails. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think for me, the departed, like what I love so much about it is that it does, it feels like it was written in three days. Like while Monaghan was like, <laughs> I'm not saying he was actually doing this, but it feels like while Monaghan was just snorting Coke and just write this thing in three days. It like he had a so Kerouac funny. scroll he wrote it on or some shit. It feels like there is no holding back at any point. Now, like, this was every, a remake, but it doesn't sound like he... But I haven't. Have you seen the original? The, the, uh, I have. In, Infernal Affairs, yes. the Hong Kong film? Yeah, excellent movie. Yeah. Very different. Okay. Much more cerebral, much more... There's, there's like a meta touch to it. I think if I remember correctly, that one of the characters is like writing a book and then the mm. events of the book... Ah, interesting. It's just very reserved Asian versus uh, the American well, cowboy. To, I didn't know that this... this. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Scorsese like, apparently didn't know it was a remake either until he signed on. He wasn't oh, that's even aware crazy. of that fact. Yeah, um, that's a great yeah, title. I mean, both uh, Infernal Affairs is great as well as title. The Departed. They both are awesome titles. It's basically, what Monaghan took is the bones of that movie and then really yeah, expanded so, it. Because um, obviously, so, it's in Hong Kong, and like half of the character of this, the film itself, is you know Boston. Yes, it's the Boston so, thing yeah, is such a big important like, part. I can't imagine it's all that similar. I know? mean, that setup is just perfect, though. If someone pitched you an execution, you know, one guy's been groomed by the mob to infiltrate the cops, and the other guy's oh, yeah, yeah. infiltrating the mob. It's like money, dude. It's yes. so high concept, you yes. can't believe it hasn't been done a hundred times. Right? Yeah, that the cat and mouse sort of spy versus spy element of it. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I I think that what what uh, what sticks with me and the reason it's fun to rewatch is it's almost a comedy. Like it's it's five mm-hmm. degrees away from just being a straight up comedy because mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. funny seeing the scene. As and, the, you know, soprano, too, the Sopranos is like that's that. the East yeah. Coast shit yeah. talking though. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Busting each other's balls, the dozens essentially. You know? Yeah, I mean it's like all three of us really like Bill Burr, right? And oh, I love Bill Burr. He's the man. That's the appeal of yes. Bill Burr. And what's amazing, this is how good of a comedian Bill Burr is. Bill Burr will do a bit that I totally disagree with. Like, I I, I actually think it's borderline, like, not cool. Like, mm-hmm. he has a whole bit about um, Kamala Harris. No, not Kamala Harris. Um, Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. He had a whole bit about Michelle oh, Obama. Great bit. And, <laughs> and the bit is really funny. Like, I disagree with the premise of the bit. I actually mm-hmm. think it's sort of, like, a little bit mean-spirited. But the bit itself is really funny. When it's and just like the target is he might be he truthful to go with him. Yeah, yeah. Yes. A lot but of times there's Howard that- Stern fans, you run into that to that a lot. Like, you know, I don't necessarily agree with what he's doing often, but it's hilarious. Right, right. I mean, a lot of it's just having that's a, another thing about the East Coast with that type of atmosphere that you grow up in, you grow up with thick skin. And it's yep. kind of a good yeah. thing that That's you can bust each yeah, other's balls tool. and take a joke exactly. and shit. Exactly, ball busting, you know? yeah. 
um, I think way to deal with, you know, pain and the uh, the other thing in terms of the comedy side is Nicholson that we should talk about. Oh yes, oh I definitely wanted to bring him up because I mean shit. His ad libs responsible right. for a lot of the comedy too. Yeah, that whole she fell funny thing isn't that an ad lib? Uh, was it? Well, oh, so man, apparently in the cool. research he initially had said it was initially a much darker line where he yes. basically makes an inference to wanting to have sex with the dead body. Yeah. And, uh, and I think Sorry, I read something good. where he basically told that to Ray Winstone and Ray Winstone was like, yeah, I get it. Yes. <laughs> like, I, apparently uh, Nicholson and Ray Winstone did not get along during the filming of this really? movie. Hmm. Interesting. Bizarre. Um, but Interesting. yeah, I mean, one of the schools of Two, thought, like alphas going at each other. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Like, Nichols, uh, Winstone used to be a heavyweight boxer, so this guy definitely want to fuck with. You do not want to fuck with Ray Winstone. Uh, yeah. Oh man! <laughs> One of the the critical schools of thought about The Departed is that Nicholson is like off the rails, and like it's almost like not good that he's off the rails. That it makes it hard to take the movie seriously or whatever. I think that's it's the complete opposite. I think if you had Agreed. somebody playing it totally straight in that part, mm-hmm. it makes the movie too serious and then becomes mm-hmm. self serious, and then it's not fun, and then you don't watch it sixty yeah. times. You know what? It's actually a character thing too that works really well for me because once you find out he's an FBI informant he's a guy who has impunity so he does whatever the fuck he wants says whatever he wants to anybody at any time because he knows nobody can touch him that's why his character he was stopped you know yeah he was inspired somewhat by Whitey Bulger who had the same arrangement with the FBI and uh, I think this the same was true with him you know that he felt impervious and immune to you know the reach of the law because he had this you know this power and this relationship it's about corruption you know absolute power yeah corrupts absolutely and when he's given that impunity you're just ultimately corrupted which brings me to the rat if we want to get into the rat for a second Mm -hmm. the famous rat at the end a lot of people hate Mm -hmm. it there was a guy who had raised like four grand on kickstarter in this movement to get the rat erased from the movie uh well the rat to me though a lot of people think it's this heavy-handed thing of course it's a movie about rats so there's this rat but Mm -hmm. no what's behind the rat it's that fucking capital the state capital building yeah yeah, the point is the the corruption didn't die when any all these people died the corruption lives on that's the fucking point. Yeah, I mean, and and having like lived problem. in Boston, the idea that a rat would just randomly be walking out there isn't that crazy. So <laughs> it doesn't. I could yes. suspend disbelief easily. I just think it's like great. You take out the rat. Oh, is it somehow like a better movie now? If it's just like mm. all right now, credits like great. Yeah, it's just a little wink. It's well, like they uh, were just reductionist. The they, yeah, they're saying it, it's wink. a very simple metaphor, but I'm like, no, yeah. it's not. It's it, if you think a little harder. It's a more powerful metaphor. You know what I'm saying? It's I think literally- the lesson from it, though, from a, like a filmmaker perspective, is that like every choice we make is really like powerful, more so than maybe in other mediums. So, like for example, when they had the Watchmen comic book, there's a little visual joke um, when they have the sex scene on the spaceship. You know, the little cloud ship mm-hmm. or whatever. Ow, have, yeah. Um, there's a little visual joke after where like this this kind of uh, blast of the engine is supposed to equate to the guy ejaculating fireworks yeah what was that movie version it's like a Uh, five minute scene so slow motion you know there's uh, they don't quite get the joke yeah (laughs) the joke so far that it suddenly doesn't stops being funny oh they they overdid it you're saying i see yeah so it's like it isn't it is remarkable how the audience that's a big thing i mean i always tell this to to like newer writers like you don't have to underline anything like mm. they're going to get it, you know, mm-hmm. do less, less than you think, because every choice, especially when you actually go make the thing is so much louder than you think it's going to be. You think that, yeah. that like, man, the reason we, better- we do that though is because we've all had execs read our shit and completely miss yeah. things. And, That's the problem yeah. in a movie. It'll come across, but in a script, it is harder. Mm-hmm. So when something is live with actors and yeah, go ahead. when it's overwritten and then you watch it, if you it's, it's yes it's the worst feeling because expositional you're like, this, and, yeah especially if it's something you worked on because then you're like fuck man this was like <sighs> how do we catch this feels that? like it's two hours long this is like a 30 <laughs> second that's funny i love you- the stories about um the what if casting in these types of you know in films in general oh but um gosh. like in this uh pacino was originally approached to play costello and oh uh as great as he is i'm so glad it didn't happen because nicholson was so perfect for it it's the um, right school. and nicholson is just something else yeah. Dude, nicholson's an all-timer and he's gone he's 
effectively retired. So it's yeah. like every it's Jack last, Nicholson performance we can get. Major Nicholson part, yeah, right? Exactly. I think so, yeah. No. Pretty sure. What was that? I, I missed the that question. it's his last major role. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. I yeah, there's a story I, I mentioned before about, you know, Louis C.K. He had uh, this show, Horace and Pete, he was casting for and he wanted Jack Nicholson to play a part in it. And he mm-hmm. finally was able to get Jack on the phone. And Jack's like, look, I go outside and I read a novel under a tree every day. I'm not going to be in your fucking movie or your TV show. <laughs> <laughs> like He's fine. like, checked out the Gene Hackman, man. All these yes. great. Gene Hackman's like, I don't work at night anymore. Fuck right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, I think it's also, I would argue, the last Wahlberg part where we still were connected to Wahlberg's past as like an actual delinquent. Yeah. Like I think now Wahlberg. Mm, Chester, Dorchester. The, the if you tail watch, end um, of the Marky Mark day. <laughs> what was the thing he just did? Spencer for Hire? Spencer, the Spencer mm, Confidential. Yeah, movie. some show. If, if you watch it, I, I still enjoyed it, but it's much more cuddly. There's like a running joke Whoa. with like. I think since he had kids, I feel like he's yeah, one of those guys I mean, yeah, that once that he had kids, he's soft and, yeah. This is a natural thing, right? I mean, it's, right. it's not a bad thing that that's happened, but it's oh, yeah. when, when you go back to a movie like this, you cannot yeah. watch this movie without, like Wahlberg knows these people in real life. Yes, <laughs> for sure. The person yes. that he's playing Definitely. in this movie could have been him if his oh, life yeah. went five degrees the mm-hmm. other way. I remember when this yeah. came out, he won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar, right? I was like, eh. Oh, did he? Uh, I didn't know that. Um, he's at least nominated. I feel like he won that. Okay. Huh. And I was kind of like, I don't know, man. I don't feel like it was there either. It was weird. It was a it's a good role. It just didn't feel that meaty to me. Yeah. It's mostly I just think... busting balls and then right. punching a guy yeah. once in a while. And then at the end, he of course yeah. he comes in and kills the dude, but it's like he played and like well. we've seen the happening right like <laughs> i don't I, I gotta say i don't think he's a great actor but this was the closest to i think to like you said what he could have been himself mm. so therefore he was just kind of playing someone he knew in a way like his circle like i've I mean, heard Dirk more turn talk about his uh past days well, uh, think, Dirk, oh that's true boogie nights he was great in that but again like that role i, I don't know i i just don't I don't feel like there's the a question is how many like great dramatic roles there, has he know. taken on though. It's well, I mean, that's if you true. watch him in the fighter, the fighter, I think he's very Ooh. underrated because uh, good point. that's a movie where, you know, Bale gets to do all the fun stuff. Yeah. Bale yeah. is just, he's a straight just, man. Like, yeah. Bale is like flipping a neon sign that whole movie. And I, I, I'm not saying he's bad. I just don't know that he's a great actor or anything. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, every moment that he's in this movie is a delight for me. I yes, love. Everything. I'll agree with that. Exactly. Yeah, I loved his character in this. Yeah, he was. It yeah. was purely just like I want to. I want to look back. Yeah. Do you remember what other films this was up against for the Oscar? Because a lot of people did feel like it was a Scorsese consolation prize. I'm going to look that um, up. Right let's see. Um, what was this? 2007 Oscars, I think, because the movie came out in 2016. The other, okay. um, I'm also curious who he was up against as a supporting mm-hmm. actor, you know. While you look at that up, the other what if casting thing was Brad Pitt was originally going to be Sullivan and he Shh, thought no he way. was too old for it and he Matt backed Damon out all day. Agreed, yes, uh, it just wouldn't be right. Uh, I mean, maybe because we've already experienced it the way we have, but not, nah, just no way. Damon, Damon, uh, Damon has the, the humor of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is, is, is can be very funny too, but I think that, Damon, yeah has that has just the right tonality in the in the humor of the movie. yes and There's, he fits the world better you know just having grown up in boston and stuff he just seems more authentic to me than brad oh, yeah. you know when it became, oh, yeah, yeah Wal- Wahlberg lost he Alien. lost to alan arkin for little miss sunshine all right he lost all right yeah i'm uh, seeing that now that was oh, a jackie earl haley loaded oh, category for yeah eddie murphy for dream girls jimon hunsu for blood diamond jackie early haley for little children alan arkin mm. little miss sunshine I gotta give that shit to Jackie Earl Haley. I was just gonna say, Personally. I think so. Yeah, that's <laughs> just me. That I was like, fucking impressive. Fucking amazing. Uh, um, now I did brave. <laughs> and then The Departed beat out Babel, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen for Best Picture. Babel, right? I guess as far as it. oh Babel, oh I, yeah. missed, I didn't catch that. I might have. Mm. That's a tough one, but I probably that's a tough like, one. Eh. I do love Babel. This though, Babel was like a dramatic international mm-hmm. ensemble wide this is scope. more fun for sure for this <laughs> this, this is like more enjoyable 
an elevated genre flick though it's, if yeah, you're gonna yeah, give yeah, a cops yeah. and robbers flick you know it's, it's more amazing than, it is amazing a bit more artistic so many oscars because it totally feels to me like a movie that in most circumstances i would end up doing on my show that would like yeah not mm-hmm. be as successful as you would think it would I mean, if be. anyone other but, than scorsese is the talent involved it could have been yeah. a lot more pedestrian even with that great script mm-hmm. you know what I'm it'd be more like the trailer that you mentioned yeah i think scorsese right script i think that's the story of this because monahan has said afterwards he's like look i made you know whatever nine movies and pretty much the only one where they just left my script alone was the departed mm-hmm. and yeah, you can feel that down you hear much. that executives there you go there's a lesson in this Producers. Um, I, I read that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say I read that roughly half the ninety million dollar budget went to the actors' salaries. So yeah. to that point of it being the <laughs> cast properly or not, I can see that for sure. I was going to ask you, and this only occurred to me when you talked about Matt Damon's reaction to that homophobic slur. Mm. Is there a chance he's gay? Well, there's Erectile a reading. dysfunction, the fact that, you know what I mean? That's yeah, a there's thing, another yeah. reading of the film that, that is that there is. Because it's so much of- about wearing a mask and not being your true self and, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Homosexual subtext to it. Yeah, I mean, there's a reading of it that, you know, you yeah. can read into that. Because another thing is, another great bit in the movie is when he's talking to Baldwin and they're on the golf course. This this whole scene is, I love everything about it. So they're on the golf course. Baldwin is like drinking a beer. He's hitting the golf ball. And he says, marriage is an important part of getting ahead. Yeah. Um, great scene. I, he says, uh, guys see the ring and they know you're not a homo. Oh, no, no. Right. Ladies, ladies see the ring. They know you're not a homo. You must have some cash and your cock must work. And then Damon goes, uh-huh, yeah, right. it's working overtime. Overtime. Yeah. And we, and we, know, know, we know that it's not. Yes. And then Baldwin replies, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wonder, the more I think about it, I like that reading personally. Mm-hmm. That's. He was just raised in this ultra masculine, yeah, homophobic environment. World, yeah. He could never be himself at all, mm-hmm. let alone, you know. He's a pretty tragic it, character, especially if you consider in that context. It makes me it wonder, though, would it have been better or would it have been felt over the top and messagey or just uh, too blunt if they had thrown in a signpost of that? Because it makes me think now of the nudie movie he went to, the porno theater. Mm-hmm. wasn't that some lesbian shit going on it's almost again like he made sure to not pick a scene that had a dude in it mm. because he didn't want to appear gay or something you know what i mean there might be another yeah. little signpost in there i don't know i don't know it's uh yeah i mean it is I, I think what's that's part of the deceptive greatness of the movie is that the movie is so loud and noisy uh, on the surface that it's very easy mm-hmm. to process it on the surface but i think mm-hmm. there's a lot of shit going on between the margins that you can pick up on like in Monaghan's script i remember reading it and there's a part early in the movie when um uh damon graduates from the police academy gets in the car with nicholson and winstone they give him a, a box and there's something in it and we don't see what it is yep. and and nicholson says you've earned it and in the script i remember Monaghan wrote in the script we don't see what it is it could be an eyeball a, a diamond it could be anything we don't see what it is that's it that's all you wrote that's and awful. it's like what a fleck from Monaghan. Monaghan's like mm. yeah you're not going to show this and i'm not going to take the pulp fiction briefcase yeah just keeps it a mystery mm-hmm. so they never revealed in the movie i didn't i couldn't remember nope. that no yeah. and it's, great, it's not a mcguffin because the plot doesn't depend on it it's purely yeah. just that right, characters right. have it's private as prominent lives and we don't get to see everything which yeah. Yeah. speaks again to the homosexuality thing we don't yeah. get to be privy to everything you that really bugs me though not knowing the answer i hate that (laughs) it's like the joke in the breakfast club not knowing the punchline like (laughs) which there is no punchline too that's the punchline that actually helped me you're pissed yes it it turned out that right right it was on a hand i think i read um because they were going to talk about a sequel and i think he had talked about doing it as both prequel and sequel and it's almost like um again because we talked about sopranos Sopranos, they're doing the prequel, and it's with right. the, the, um, Saint, the many saints of Newark. Yeah, yeah but it's with um with uh, Gandolfini's son. I'm gonna forget the name. The many saints of Newark is with who are the guys? It's the um, it's like the the older generation that we hear talk Uncle about. Uncle Junior. Yeah, it's Uncle Junior, but then it's also his. It's um, gosh, Christopher Maloney's character. Oh, Not his dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad uh, of um, Christopher Imperioli. Imperioli. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna look it up because it's gonna drive me crazy. Maltasantis. 
Imaltisantis, yes. And he was killed by uh, a guy that Christopher later got, but they weren't quite, it was ambiguous whether it was really the right guy or not. Yeah, it's yeah. Dickie, Dickie Maltesanti. And, yeah. and, uh, nice. And then, Junior, and then Johnny Boy. Yeah, nice. So that's that's what looking the forward to. That's coming soon, too. That should be in the next, like... Yo, Sopranos ending. Where are you at on it? The final scene. Because oh this God. movie... Dude. Yes. So, I, again, like I said, like, I just watched this for the first time, like, okay. a month ago after my wow. son was born. Was I'm envious that you... I know. Anytime just someone sees it for the first time, I'm like, fire. Yes. So, so, basically, every night between, like, 2 and 5 a.m., I'm with my newborn son. We're downstairs, and we're watching The Sopranos. We make it through six seasons of The Sopranos. Get to the end. There's that thing where it just cuts to black. I obviously have heard about it for years, right. but even though I'd heard about it for years, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. I just knew, mm. okay, there's a cut to black. I thought okay. for some reason, I thought, because there was always the question of, does Tony die? So I just had assumed in my mind, oh, maybe it's a shot of Gandolfini, like in a hospital bed after he's been shot or something like that. Mm, but they just don't resolve it. Yeah. I started reading. I became obsessed with it, read a mm. bunch of interviews, listened to podcasts, thought about it. And what I what I came to realize about it, and this is what, if you listen to David Chase talk about it, he's mm-hmm. very clearly saying this. What it's about is what is what is what our lives actually like entail? What's important in our lives when we die? What do you think about? Like, what did you do? And for it's not a coincidence that that scene is like one of the very few times in the whole series where Gandolfini is just with his family, mm-hmm. and it's actually a nice moment. They're all together. It's positive. And it's just like, this is what life is. Life is just being mm-hmm. with your family. This is what you would miss. Yeah. This when is it's what matters. Hard. And when you eventually die, this is the, the shit that you should have like, you know, done. Yeah. That's the great um, regret. Yeah. And, and when you, and, and it's going to happen to all of us. That's kind of what mm-hmm. the thing is for the Sopranos. And especially is. with him that he's always looking over his shoulder. So if it wasn't his That's death, it's still representative of like what his life is going to be like and has been like that always, you know, wondering when it's going to come, you know. Mm. Since I that ambiguity allows us to fill in that blank ourselves, that's how I choose to fill in the blank. That he's not really enjoying that moment with his family because right, he's watching the door. He's looking tainted. over his shoulder. He knows he's done so much bad that somebody's going to reciprocally come for him someday. You know what I mean? I take it almost as this universal thing of like, at some point we're all going to die. And when we die, it's probably going to be more like this than it is some grandiose cinematic, right. yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be literally just something happens and then you die and that's it. There was a point too in the series and Chase has mentioned this, that where they're uh, Tony and Bobby are out on the canoe uh, or rowboat or whatever out on the lake. And yeah. they're, they're talking about death and Bobby said, well, I think, um, uh, Tony asked Bobby what he thinks it's going to be like when you die, and Bobby yeah. says, "I, I, th- I might haven't been mixed up, but um, he uh, answers, well, I, maybe you just, just everything just goes to black, you know, like well, no, it's, it's literally it's specific to that. It's basically because um, I watched it so recently, I remember. Oh um, yeah, right. He he says, um, when 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 it happens, you won't see it. You don't see it coming, right? Uh, that's yeah. what Bacala says. He's like, right. when it happens, you probably Bacala, don't see it yes. coming. And then, and then that's paid off because Bacala, they come to kill him. He's at the store getting like the mm-hmm. train set or whatever. The train set, yes. You know, and they just sneak up behind him. And so Damn, Sopranos yeah, it's, is the shit. It's this idea <laughs> of like, you know, if, if you're one of these people, if you're one of the people in The Sopranos and pretty much all the characters in The Departed, uh, you're not going to see it coming. It's just going to happen. Yeah, exactly. You know? yep. Yep. And if you do and see that's it coming what happens all, Leo at the end of this movie. It's that thing, like that Donnie Brasco thing, right. which is kind of a cousin to this film with the the anxiety yeah, of living yeah. undercover in that world uh, we should maybe talk about and at least give props to leo for a minute because yeah i was just going a lot of that, people yes. historically especially this is an older film he always had that pretty boy titanic stink on him to a lot of dudes and this is mm-hmm. effectively a movie made for men oftentimes you know and when he came around with this scorsese renaissance essentially I remember when he came up as Amsterdam and a lot of people in gangs in New York were like, get the fuck out of here. Like, mm-hmm. Leo, come on. But, uh, I mean, I've always been a fan all the way back to yeah, what's Gilbert eating Grape. Gilbert Grape. I mean, Total Eclipse where he played Arthur Rambo, you know, these earlier movies of his. Always a great actor. But he really grew into a man with these Scorsese films. And this, yeah. to me, is maybe his best just masculine role. You know what yeah, I mean? Well, it's, the Revenant, maybe since then, but yeah, <laughs> oh, the Revenant. Uh, <laughs> still trying to figure out what Tom Hardy was saying in that movie. Um, yeah, he stole Tom Berenger's accent. It was that Baltimore accent <laughs> that he was going for. I think that uh, that ties into my other big thing with this movie, which is I'm obsessed with this idea of like coming up with a moment that's replicable 
where every time, and that's the fun of seeing the movie six times in the theater, every time it happens, people gasp. And in this movie, Ooh. there's two moments. You're like watching that. the audience's reaction is by the, your sixth viewing or whatever. Yeah, as much as Martin Sheen coming off Martin the building. Sheen. Yes. And then Leo getting just yes. murked in the head. Um, and right at the end, when you totally, yeah. every single person in the audience is like, oh, well, I know what's going to happen in the end of this movie. Yeah. And that's not what happens. They're still rooting and, uh, for him at that point. You know? They're totally rooting for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember, uh, you know, in my first, well, when I went to b- back to watch it just a couple of days ago, I couldn't remember the ending ex- exactly. I remembered someone getting shot in the elevator. It was either Damon or, uh, you know, uh, DiCaprio. Uh, and I remember, uh, you know, uh, Wahlberg at the end with the shit on his shoes, you know, to you know, leave no trace. There's another like, someone thing in an right apartment. What's that? At, right, right before the end, um, Damon gets out of the elevator. The right? dog. There's two, there's two great little, very subtle touches. So the dog, first of all, doesn't even want to let Damon pet him. That's, mm-hmm. it's just ostracized by all society. Well, even that lady kind of pulls the dog away yes, too. That yes. lady was, was repelled like for some revolted. reason. Yes, exactly. And then he goes inside of the apartment and he drops the, what he's gotten from the grocery or whatever. And it's you like notice a that it's a croissant. And that's mm-hmm. pays off earlier. Vera Farmiga said, I bought you a French donut. I'll go you one better. It's not only a croissant, it's two cartons of milk, which is what Jack Nicholson set him up with as a kid oh. in the store, dude. It's all his I never emotional noticed that. baggage. I've seen this a hundred times. Oh, it's his it whole spills life, spills on the floor. Yeah. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, respect. That's wild. Yeah, I just noticed it this last time. Same with the homosexual reading. Never occurred to me, even until you mm. talked about his reaction to that. And I'm like, whoa, it's all there, dude. If you want to go down that road you know but yeah i saw those two cartons of milk i was like oh shit that's crazy mm, and like you said the croissants it's all it's his life flashing before his eyes essentially you know that beginning part too is it so sets up the tone of the movie because nicholson goes to this like five and dime to get like 42 dollars of protection money or something yeah, mm, yeah it's so low grade <laughs> and then, <laughs> Why and then it's shit? like the brutality of monahan's writing he tells the girl who's working there um did you get your period yet, Carmen? Mm-hmm. And then he says, uh, after he pays, he gives her the change and he says, go buy yourself some makeup. And it's so brutal. It's, it's so, <laughs> it's, it's brutal Predatory. in a way. I think a lot of movies try to be edgy. Um, mm. And when you try to do it in a way that feels artificial, yeah. it's not really actually edgy. This movie is actually edgy. Like it's, it's, there, there are many moments in this that are like boldly kind of like, Oof, man, this mm. is rough. And uh, and that's that's just like the first example of it. But the whole movie is like that. People just talk mm-hmm. to each other in the most brutal ways throughout this entire movie. Yeah. And again, it's uh, maybe slightly hyperbolic, hyperbolic, uh, yeah, version of the East Coast, but not really. Yeah. Not that much. I mean, motherfuckers are much. like that, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially the criminal element, who know again, mm-hmm. even. Uh, you know, it eventually graduated to the point where he had true immunity. So mm. that gave him impunity. But on the right. street level, you carry the gun. You're the guy everyone knows not to fuck with. Mm-hmm. You have that same impunity. You know what I mean? Are you going to so, stop doing coke deals with your jerk off fucking cousin? Yeah, right. Exactly. Totally. Man, now I'm thinking um, of the scene where Nicholson busted out the dildo on Dan yeah. with the whole homosexual reading. Like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is that, man? Why me? Why? Why? You know? <laughs> right? What are you saying, dude? That's interesting, because it did feel like his character was just going through them, almost like uh, Ed Norton's character in Fight Club, where he's like the IKEA shit. Mm. Like Matt Damon felt like he was leveling up. This is the apartment you get. Then you need right. to get a woman, so I need to go yeah, find a just, woman. And you know, he tells her, "I respect who you are, just not in the living room. We might have guests." <laughs> it was great. I did love. Uh, uh, well, I remember earlier on the whole love triangle thing. To me, I felt like the movie didn't need and it felt a little artificial, but mm-hmm. didn't bother me this time. Nah, you know? yeah, that was a similar experience for me. The first time I was kind of like, uh, you know, I was I kind of had a, a chip on my shoulder when it came to that like element in general. You were way more critical back in the days. But uh, but yeah, now I mean specifically that that line where he tells her, "Hey, I respect who you are, but not in the living room." That's totally paid off later when DiCaprio finds the picture that. 
that Damon didn't want out mm-hmm. in case guests came over mm-hmm. and he puts it up to a place of prominence. And he says, Oh, this yep. is, you know, like he, he really validates it. So everything mm-hmm. about their the love triangle reinforces the idea that Damon is inauthentic and DiCaprio, despite being yeah. literally like an undercover, like totally living a yeah. life or whatever is the right. most more authentic, person. more authentic. Yeah. Also there's the idea of projection where we talk so often about cancel culture and shit that, People like the white knight syndrome, and you find out the white knight guy is actually this borderline date rapist or whatever. It's kind of like that where Matt Damon, be careful what you believe or taking the judging the book by its cover goes both ways. You know what I'm saying? If a guy appears to be virtuous because he's the perfect fucking cop who's on the way up and he seems, you know, impeccable in every way, the golden child, that there's probably some nasty shit underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And the same conversely for the guy, don't judge the young thug who, you know, for all you know, he's the hero cop, you know? And what's interesting about that is that in the movie, Martin Sheen basically creates his own death because he tells him, follow Costello and you'll find his rat, which is how he figures out that Martin Sheen is working with DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Right. And then conversely, DiCaprio, um, he is the only one that Costello trusts. So at the end, he, he calls Damon and he says, I'm the only one who trusts yeah. him. Can you believe that, you rat fuck? Yeah. No which shit. is great. So you thought so you were satisfying. his son and all that? No, I was his son, bitch. Mm-hmm. And he plays him. That's the other thing that I just never really, I think I just like took it for granted that magically they had this recording. The recording that Vera Farmiga listens to oh, yeah. is a recording that mm-hmm. Costello made of Damon, which means that Costello had been basically trust him setting Damon was, up yeah. the whole movie. So the whole thing where Damon calls him dad or whatever is actually like, again, just really sad. And, you know, yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. That is DiCaprio's character's a- well, I was just going to say more to say on that. Well, when you groom the cop, you are giving him the power to take you down. Mm. So he had to cover his own ass. Mm. He probably recorded yeah. every conversation. Yeah, it was protective, had, you know? right? He has his like Nixon tape trove somewhere. Yeah, exactly. If you ever just decide I'm going to go straight and be a fucking cop because now I'm making eighty grand a year and I'm a detective and I'm going to take down Frank Costello and shit, you know. And and if he is an FBI informant, he might be doing it for that purpose as well. In general, yeah. just recording everything. Going to night school at Suffolk. Dude, yeah. how how awesome would it be if that scene where he fucking brushes DiCaprio's broken arm with his boot, if Jack was wearing a fucking wire during it? Yeah, for the no FBI, shit. that'd be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no shit, I'm taking you down for the same shit. Him. Where on your mother's grave? You're not still a cop. <laughs> DiCaprio's acting was, was great, man. Yeah, I was really feeling his paranoia. Like, yeah. just the, um, he actually was quoted. I saw in just researching this a bit that it was basically his character was a 24 hour panic attack, you know, just yeah. constantly just in danger. And yeah, and uh, the you're a cop bit, you know, yes. where the guys are playing this game of, you know, uh, you know, you know, well, if they're game? not looking at you, yeah. you know, how, you, how it's a cop they're not looking at you they're pretending not to look at you and like that guy across the street is not looking at us he's a cop this hot chick walks by see she didn't look at us she must be the police commissioner and then he comes dicaprio comes out the door and they go you're a cop and he's like what and they're like yeah we're doing this thing you know if you don't they're not looking at you you're a cop you're a cop well that guy that character is awesome (laughs) for two reasons how he figured him out and then died that's another great fucking moment yes he's like i gave you the wrong address wrong address bit was great and And also yeah the ambiguity yeah but the you're a cop shit was actually pretty on point because if you think about when nicholson frank first sat down next to dicaprio at the bar he like pretended he didn't see him and all that shit you know what i mean he was doing that cop thing where if they're not looking at you they're a fucking cop it was almost like a tell that that moment when you're talking about delahunt so after he um dies they say that he's an undercover cop and Nicholson right. says the cops are saying he's a cop so that I won't look for the cops. Right. Yep. Yes, exactly. So Which is true because Matt Damon had deleted. The dogs. Yeah, exactly. He had so deleted Humboldt and put him in the place. Right where, right. where he's not actually an undercover cop. They've just put yes, that out. That as was a just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that can go either way because when he looked up all the yeah. guys, when he got the Citizens Bank thing and he was looking up their identities, DiCaprio and that guy were the two that right. they showed the not come prominent. up right. So he could have been yeah. a cop. Which yeah. would be ironic that he's a cop yeah. talking about you're a cop, she's a cop, he's a cop. You yeah, know? I mean maybe Costello's reading was wrong. It's possible too, right? Yeah, yeah. But then there's also the reading that Matt Damon took the opportunity to hang it all on that dead guy. You know. Yeah, that's true too. 
Yeah. It's your guy in the crew who says a lot of machinery involved here and moving parts. Yeah. The, uh, the guy in the crew who says, what does he say? He's like, I spent all fucking night burying him that marsh. How they find right. himself? I'm embarrassed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That guy was great too. I don't know who that dude is. That just Irish strong man. He has this that, line yeah. where after they kill Martin Sheen, he goes, the cop was tough. We were excessive with the cop. Yes. <laughs> we laugh every time. Like, why would he say that? That Martin Sheen death scene sucked, dude. Like, you oh, actually like that guy. Like, that just that hurt. one bit where he's like, you want some dinner? And the cabra's like, no. He's like, no, no, come on. Come fucking eat, whatever. That right there was so endearing that mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. makes his death that much nastier in the way he just... Great shot, too. I mean, you see his whole yes. body. He's yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, and they, they run over his body when they leave. Which is ah, I that. his blood injury. splashes on a DiCaprio. Oh, DiCaprio yeah. is oh, over. Shit. Exactly. That is you great. Call this number on a dead guy's phone. 